0: What is up guys back with another episode of the Ross and Brandon show. And, uh, man, we were fired up a little bit talking before this episode about some things. And I think it's just a perfect, honest segue into the, to the normal show. But Ross and I typically talk a little bit before and a little bit after kind of to clear the air on the things that we don't want to talk about on air, politics, personal stuff, things like that, just as a friend. And then this, this segues into more of the, the public consumption. So what we were talking about the other day, um, this is actually a series of events. So the other day I posted a a story that I've posted numerous times in my, my past on social media, because I think it's a fascinating visual and it's an individual scaled standing beside $10,000, a million dollars, a billion dollars, or, you know, all the way up to a trillion dollars. It just shows these scales. And the reason I post that from time to time is the media used to have millions and billions as just it was an everyday ticker yeah. tape number that was across the screen. We give 10 billion here, we give 350 million there, 10 billion here, 20 million yep. here. And it just becomes like, it's just words at that point. So yeah. I think sometimes for myself, even it's important to ground myself in the fact that we're $32 trillion in debt. When yeah. you look at the person, actually there's a, there's a, a photograph of a person or a, Vision or a computerized version right. of a person standing next to the national debt, and it actually shows it growing at the rate that it grows. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Like, yeah. it's insane. So, long story short, I post this, and Instagram and in all their oversight and wisdom. Decides to fact check this image, which has been around since I believe when I was in college, like or just post college, because I've I've seen it for at it's least ten. Literally, or years.
1: it's literally just like a little cartoon sketch. Like there's yeah. no there's no story words. attached. There's, not, there's to no it. words. There's other words. Than the dollar amount that yeah represents all it is. There's nothing on this picture.
0: So it it immediately and my caption was probably what what damaged me. I said when the media uses billions and trillions, keep this. in in your mind, like keep this visual in context. Mm -hmm. That's all I said. And it attached it to an article about funding Ukraine. Yep, Like it it actually said fake news or false news or fake Mm and false information because it was relative quote unquote relative Mm -hmm. to the fact that we were giving billions to Ukraine. Now I am not going to lose my mind on air about my feelings about that situation, (laughs) about giving money to Ukraine. We'll know Well, we will for the, both of our sakes and benefit. I will not go down that road, Mm -hmm. but today, today (laughs) I'll, I'll go, I'll go down, I'll go down that road 3000 times after this podcast is over, but not right now. But anyway, um, so long story short, that is problematic for me in, in the sense that I try to share things now. I'm, I'm susceptible just like anyone. I see things that I find interesting. I see things that are like, Oh my God, I can't believe that's real. I have shared things that I have with two more clicks found out were not completely accurate. Right. But in light of that, I have started to try to do my own self-checking. I've started to try to like, before I post something that I think, man, people need to know this or people need to see this. I typically do a couple other searches just to be like, okay, well, that was a half truth or that wasn't as much as it was for my own benefit too, because I get riled up about stuff. Like I am at a place where I'm very angry about a lot of the constant influx of things that are happening. I don't really know what to do about it. I don't like most many people have just 30, 40 extra hours a week to donate to moving the needle in another direction. I try, you know, by sharing things like that is my, my widest net that I can cast is sharing something. So, I don't know in the scope of things what that does to me as a one-strike, a two-strike, a three-strikes. I mean, every time I post both post, courts well, and firearms or tag them or post myself holding one of their rifles, not even shooting it, not shooting at a human being, shooting at a target, yeah, I will lose 90% of my engagement yep. in my story. I don't know yep. about the rest of it, but I know the number that I typically hover around, and it's a good, solid base, good reach. The day... After I post a Volcourtson story, you can bet that it will be 10% of that yep, without fail. Yep. I mean, it's just stupid. Yep. Okay. So on that note, last week, and I want to I approach this very delicately because I would never, ever want to speak for anyone else. But from my viewpoint, I'm looking at all the things that Wolf Brigade has done as far as a gym, as far as the personal outreach that I've seen Greg and Heather and his people do. Um, most of the time for little to no money, little to no thanks, little to no exposure somewhere in all of Greg's posting. And there's a lot of symbology. There's a lot of like critical direct language there. Yep. Uh, and, and I mean, critical in the sense of it is important. I think if you read the, read the words, you will see how important they are. To strength, to betterment, to self improvement, to being kind to people, to helping your friends, to helping your circle. His page, the Wolf Brigade page, his Wolf Brigade byproduct, and I believe another page as well.
1: His personal or, one. Yeah, and his then, personal one, and, and then, then Heather's kids one.
0: Yeah, it was Wolf Brigade uh, kids. So four pages in total that I know of uh, were taken down simultaneously because they said that he was inciting um, violence and the use of strong language or, or hate speech. Now, I will cut right there and leave that as another example. Mm-hmm. What I say forward is not about Greg. I don't want to express opinions for Greg. I don't want to try to muddy the water for Greg. I am just saying that is two ends of the spectrum of someone who can be perceived as one thing, oh. accused of one thing, And then shut down without any kind of research or investigation on that fact. Or warning, right? They didn't even get like anything. It was just he woke up and it was gone. Right. And that is where my feeling comes in um, that someone or someone's sent complaints about each page simultaneously. Yep. Yep. You get one person, no big deal. You get two or three people, no big deal. You get five or six people, maybe Instagram just says, wait a minute. Enough people are coming to me with this right now. Let's at least disable it for 30 days until we can do our research. Well, again, take a person who owns a small business, right? Take peace, love, and meat, for example. Mm -hmm. What would be our method of recourse if we lost the page? Like that is all that this is. That is really all this is. Greg is much more than just a page. But like I said before, that is how I cast my widest net. Mm Mm-hmm he's not going to sell 200 t-shirts to the people in his gym. He's not going to sell 50 maces to the people in his gym. He's not going to sell a hundred ropes to the people in his gym. So by crippling this man um, or anyone being crippled by an algorithm or by some 25 year old kid that doesn't know their asshole from their elbow, just looking at a picture and deciding, Oh, this looks like something that upsets me. Why would I ever yep. overturn it and allow it? So what is the spectrum there? What are we dealing with here? Is it as an AI generated algorithm that just looks at things, you know, searches for words. If you say the word gun, if you say the word, oh, kill it. Like, oh man, go yeah. kill it. Yep. Dude, I had a post removed because I said, kill it. Yep. So that's the thing. We're in a place right now where people are so pathetic, so weak, so fragile that words on a screen, more than words in your face, words yeah. on a screen can prompt a reaction on a, on a thing that you can put down, right? Yep. What happened to letting people decide? Are people so stupid? Maybe, yes, they are. Are people so stupid that they can't discern fact from fiction, truth from lies? I, I, I'm having a hard time with that more and more in the media, but I think giving a person an inferred direction on what something is, is critically wrong because then that is influence at a level that it is, it is deviant because you're not giving a person a chance to even see it to decide. You're not even giving the person the chance to observe something, to form their own opinion or to view something in light of the fact that, yeah, I might be talking about Ukraine right now in this post. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's exactly why I'm posting it because somebody should look at this and say, hmm, what's really going on here? Yeah. And I may be totally wrong, and I'm okay with that. But my opinions, my, my what I would consider slightly informed view of the Ukraine-Russia conflict, it ain't good for the U.S., right? At, at the structure, at the at the statement of the world in conflict is not good for the U.S. And beyond that, I just don't think there's a lot good for the individual citizen. I don't think there's a lot good for this country. I don't think there's a lot good for the pride of this nation. So that is where I am at a real crossroads with what to do here, because I'm an opinionated person. I know that I have muted myself in the last two to three years on things that I firmly believe for fear of not being able to provide for myself Mm -hmm for my family, you know, the things that I value and as a man I'm supposed to take care of, but I can be silenced because of my beliefs. Yeah. I I can be silenced because I disagree with someone behind a screen. Right. My beliefs are outside of the, the widely publicized accepted norms. Like I have Mm -hmm. very fundamental probably more conservative in some directions than people would believe probably more liberal in some directions than people would believe I'm an anomaly. Right. I think you're that way. I don't sit strong fenced on one side or the other. I sit somewhere in the middle and I can hear most anyone's argument on any topic. I can hear it. I can discuss it. I can absorb it, but it doesn't mean I have to believe it. It doesn't mean I have to get emotionally charged by it. Where does this go? And what are the depths of this without it turning into the minority report, without it turning into some, you know, 1984 scenario more than it is. Um, and again, that's a cliche statement. So I apologize. Like, it's not 1984. It's not a book. It's our lives. Yeah. And while there might be literary comparison, I think that if we continue to compare it, you know, compare it to a book, we're missing the reality of what's going on. You can keep distant. saying it's nineteen eighty four, it's nineteen eighty four, it's nineteen eighty four. Okay, then what the hell are we doing about it? Mm-hmm. You know? And that is where I struggle to say what's next, like what do I do next to help? And then does my help shut me down? What do you think about all that?
1: The I always go back to timing. Yeah. When all those when when things like this happen. Right? Like yeah. what's going on literally right now what is coming up in the next few months. Right. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing in these last few days, it has been, we're already talking about there's already Lionsgate is yeah. re-implemented masks, right? Like they're mm-hmm. already talking about by the end of the year, it's going to be mandatory in airports again. Right. So there, it's already starting to happen again. And we know that that's what they're what, what is the plan? Right. So the timing of all of these things, like I, and I know it's not with Greg's example, <clears throat> like, I, I guess I can't say I don't, I, I don't know, but I'm thinking there wasn't many more vocal people about a lot of the COVID stuff yeah. during the time that it was happening in the, in the, in the fitness space, than yeah. him, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And yeah. if we're about to go into that again, I'm just like that. And this is just how my mind goes. Like I'm always thinking in this, whether it's like cynicism or just like overzealous skepticism, I don't know, but I'm thinking like, Hey, let's shut Greg down before we have to go through all this again. And he's the one that is pumping out counter messaging to what's going on. Right. And whether or not it was, you know, and I don't know that. And it probably wasn't that devious this time. Right. Right. But all this stuff, like in the examples that you gave about your post, like you never said what it was that you were referencing. Right. And you very well might have been referencing the Ukraine thing, but that was never. One hundred percent, I was in my mind the next 100 percent were 50 billion
0: dollars. Look at fifty yeah. of those stacks, you sons of bitches! Like that's what we're well, That is forty percent of your daily work, right there. Every and, and, that, every
1: other week that happens, right? That's
0: when us. what. Okay, I'm not going to go off,
1: <laughs> but just to
0: rem, just to remind people, yes, that when they say government spending or they say the government is giving, yeah, the government does not make money. The government Cannot operates create. at a loss, right? We are thirty two trillion dollars in debt. Who is paying the bill? They but might be selling the checks. But they'll but they give seven
1: hundred dollars to all the families in Maui and think I that's can't good even. enough.
0: I can't yeah. even. <laughs> I yeah. cannot even when you look at the maps of what burned and what didn't, I cannot yeah. even touch that subject. And I heard something There's, I heard something, and I'll tell you off air that blew yeah. my mind. But when I did 10 clicks, 12 clicks, 15 clicks, actually 14 clicks, because it's exactly 14 is the number of what I'm talking about. 14 clicks. And I verified this story and it is very, very problematic for me. It is not conspiracy. It is just, it is just an evidence that certain things are not what they seem. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's really where I'll leave it. I'll talk to you about it afterwards, but it, it, it's referenced in Maui as well. I mean, when yeah. you look at the map of what burned and what didn't, and yep. then you just go a little further back and look at other cities that have been on fire and what burned and what didn't, yep. then you start to see maybe, maybe fire has a mind. Maybe fire knows exactly what to burn and what to preserve. So, yeah. but that's, again, it's like, take Greg, for example, you know, he was anti COVID. He was anti lockdown. He was anti forced anything. All he ever said was that you have a personal choice I will not bend the knee in the face of a forced behavior. Yeah. If you convince me that this is the best behavior for me, tell me Greg Walsh wouldn't do the best thing for himself. Yeah. If, if it was proven to him. Right. Yeah. We talked about an example this week about you, you know, in, re, in reference to that, like doing things the best way that you know how, or the best way that you can with what you know. And when you learn more, you, you adapt that behavior. But you have to be careful what you're learning. You have to be careful what the information says. But I look at these jackasses, some of these morons who are like pro men's groups and pro like Molon Labe. We got to be three percenters. Like these guys, are they not inciting violence? Are they not fucking morons more than Greg? Like some of those guys are complete ass wipes. Like they have nothing valuable to, to give. All they gain in value is given. To them, like as in support yeah. and buying products and buying stupid whatever the lions, not sheep shirts from an asshole that gets it printed in China and then tries to tell you that you're a bad person if you don't love America.
1: Fuck yeah. those people. But guess who and, the FBI will go after? Well, it'll that's what i'm saying it It'll be the old eighty year old man that was posting stuff on Facebook and they'll raid his house at four in the morning mm-hmm. and kill him in his home. Yeah, right. Because that literally mm-hmm. happened two weeks ago.
0: Yeah, and, and again. I, I just, I mean, so you and I can stay on this level. So people don't hear this and be like, oh my God, they're going Alex Jones on us. That's not the case. Like the things that you just said, that's a very real thing. Guy was like late seventies, early eighties. Walked with a cane. Like old obese, giant dude. And just posting his anger and frustration. I mean, Oliver Anthony did it beautifully, right? Hmm. You know, he did it in a way that was beautiful. Yeah, This guy did it in a way that was pissed off and somehow got him killed. Like for my own sanity's sake, I can't keep going down this rabbit hole, but
1: we'll take it. We'll take it. It just,
0: it just, it just presents real questions that we need to be asking in reference to history. When these things happened elsewhere, when people were silenced, when people were shot and killed for their viewpoints, I mean, was he attacking anyone? Was he, Harming anyone, or was he just sharing words that were in his head? Because if I shared every word that was in my head, and I was judged accordingly to what I thought, there is no jail strong enough, and there is no key big enough to turn the lock behind the door that they would put me in. If yeah. I told every single thing that I thought, yeah, true of anyone, like yeah, whether that is, I mean, it just it's such a stupid thing. But to get off of that and to get my blood pressure back down. It brings in another, another segment of conversation that we talked about too. Yeah. And that was on the hunting side. Yes. You know, like the, the glorification of killing via social media rather than the glorification of hunting.
1: Mm.
0: And Matt Ranella wrote an article. It's uh, Steve Ranella, founder of meat eater and that whole conglomerate. It is his brother. And this came out last year. And, uh, I believe it was last year. And it really caused a rift in their family. They've both talked about it like Christmas and Thanksgiving were weird at the Ranella house because of his opinions. And most of those accusatorily at his brother and the conglomerate that his brother has developed singled out. Joe Rogan is terrible for hunting because all these guys do is kill, 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 kill. And then, you know, they have four elk every season. They have two mule deer every season. They have an axis deer. They have a antelope. So it's like, as a reasonable person, are we glorifying the efforts of this hunter and his skill, or do we only value the trophy? Yeah. And the, the crazy thing about that is, I agree with a lot of what Matt Ranella says. Like, a, in principle, I do think that we have commercialized the killing of animals. Yeah. Um, I have c- contributed to the commercialization of killing animals just because I will post a picture. I'm not above that. Yeah. I'm not saying that was my intention. But I will say if somebody picked up a bow and killed another animal, I contributed to the killing of more animals. So now as a hunter and as a conservationist, I know that I have to get people uh, encouraged into the outdoors. I have to be conscious of the lessons that I've gained and the value of those lessons. And I want to impart those on other people and help other people find them. What I think we're missing in that space is that people are going out and rather than maybe killing a doe for two or three years, you know, on a whitetail, for example, to yeah. kill, kill a doe for two or three years. And then, you know, year four, you you take your bow out or your rifle out and you have a very strong intention of you've learned behavior. You've observed these animals. You know how to kill. You know how to gut this animal. You know how to clean it. Now we go after the trophy portion. Let's find yep. a good, solid buck. Giving that progressive state. I talked to a guy who had never hunted. Uh, he had got kind of like we were talking about before with uh, somebody you knew. Bought the whole set, bought the new bow, new camo, new arrows, got to shooting really well, goes out and has a 320 inch, give or take bull day one, day three and day four of a seven day hunt. He told the guide that he wanted a 350 bull or bigger. So the guy not only buys two, three grand worth of equipment, bow, camo, whatever, Uh spends five, six grand on an elk hunt and an outfitter. So he's 10 grand. Chasing an image of what he can imagine mm. in his head. Mm-hmm. I've seen a three twenty bull on on hoof. It's giant. It's not Huge. nothing. Nothing to ever turn your eye at. But people get caught up in inches. People get caught up in the idea of having their photograph with this giant trophy. And I can tell you, I have felt that pressure. I have had those thoughts in my head when I'm in the field because it's like when you're in that industry and you're thinking, man, who will see this, who will, who will value this? That's when it gets ugly. You know, I've talked yeah. to Bert about that. I've talked about to Bert about my own feelings, his own feelings on it. And I guess if I'm honest, that's kind of why I went back to the recurve somewhat. Cause I thought it would really improve me as a hunter. You know, yeah. I, I thought it would diminish my ability to kill, but improve my hunting skill. And it's been that, and it's been more, it's been, It's just been a learning curve that I didn't expect, but not to self-martyr myself and say that I I did the right thing or I I did something that everyone else should do. I really struggle with it. You know, as the season is approaching, how do I glorify an animal? Do I do I leave it untouched and photographic dead on the ground? Do I take a a somewhat semi-action photograph of the animal in a way that? diminishes the fact that there's blood, diminishes the fact that I shot it. It's just a beautiful artistic scape of the body. Do I grab that thing and smile and, you know, just yeah, clench it up? Or do yeah. I look somber or do I look hard and tough? Like, I don't think about these things, but because of the climate of things, every every arrow that I draw back or every animal that I shoot or any of those things man, it it really does have an impact on how we present that. And I don't know the best way forward. Like, I don't know for myself what the best way forward is because I was listening to a podcast, the Kafaru cast with Aaron and South Cox and a few other guys that were talking about the Matt Ranella article. And Aaron was named one of the the most damaging hunters to hunting. And, you know, I listened to that and I'm like, man, Aaron does – one, he he does kill a lot of animals, but it is like that is part of his job is to go to places and test gear, um, help these outfitters out with coals and different things. Like he's invested in he the outdoors. He also spends
1: two hundred and sixty days a year <laughs> in the mountains. Right. Like you know, so, it's so watching a guy like that. From a ratio just, perspective, you know what I mean, like how much he's up there, mm-hmm. he's you know, he's probably gotten a lot more chances. In all the times that he's not posting about it than he ever does posting about it. You know, that's what he
0: said. He was like, you know, I only post kind of like the highlight animals that I get. You know, he's like, I don't remember Matt. He was on Matt's podcast and Matt was asking him, he's like, what do you kill? Like five or six animals a year? And he was like, well, I killed 40 last year, you know? And again, let's talk about Georgia deer hunting in the seventies and eighties when you could run dogs on them and kill 40 deer in a night. Like, yeah. That is the ugly side of conference conservation. That is the hard to explain side of conservation. But if deer get out of proportion, more than two de- two does to one buck, you really start having some gene problems. You start having some vegetation problems. You got to keep that order. It is a natural order, and when you put vegetation and agriculture on the ground as a farmer, more deer come in. Yeah. So part of the process of that, if you get more deer on your property, you have to observe. maintain nature's balance because you have changed nature by planting 400 acres of fucking corn like yeah love our farmers love our hunters but we got to understand to the people who are anti-hunting that when you do that when you when you have a farmer that wants to feed your fat face they have to put things in the ground or grow cattle or grow pigs whatever that cultivate more wildlife into the space. That's how a farm works. You morons. So (laughs) when you have that, people have to go out and kill these animals to protect the integrity of the land. That is a coal hunt. That's what it is. So when somebody says they kill 40 animals and your pants drop and you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe that. Go to a chicken slaughterhouse. They kill 10,000 a day. Go to a beef slaughterhouse. I worked in a beef slaughterhouse and it was amazingly clean, amazingly professional yeah. and respectful. It is still killing and violent. Like it is, there's nothing pleasurable about putting a knife into an animal's throat and cutting its jugular. There's just not.
1: There's, there's a, and that, and that makes me think too, there's this new down close to my hometown in Southern Idaho. They just put in like on the outskirts of town of Jerome, this massive, it's one of the biggest ones in the Northwest. I believe mm-hmm. uh, this massive beef processing plant. Okay. And it's it's huge. Like, I think it's Agri Beef that owns mm. it, snaker Farm. Like, you you can, and, and the way that it works is, from my understanding, is like if you're a company that wants your stuff processed there, you pay or you rent the hook. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's and, the way it worked for and, us, too. Yep. Yeah. And so, I mean, but there's, I can't even tell you how many thousands of hooks there are in this place. Like, it's yeah. unbelievable. But for the town, because there was a lot of pushback from the town and the way that, like politically the land was acquired and there was all this kind of thing that like a lot of the townsfolk didn't like how it just kind of showed up one day basically. Were
0: there any Um, fires there that just perfectly burned everything? No, there weren't. Damn.
1: There weren't because it was out in the (laughs) middle of the desert already. So there's nothing out there, but I think it was because it was BLM land or there was something like that or whatever. Anyways, so they offered, um, like a a tour once the whole thing was completed, they said, we're doing this big open house. Like, please come out and take a tour of the facility, see what it is. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: uh, I've heard like from dozens of people that I know that were like pretty hard against it. They went out there and they got to see the whole thing in motion. And they're like, it is there. There probably are few, if any more top of the line in the country than what this thing is in terms of efficiency, in terms of cleanliness, in terms of processes, Of getting you know from point a to point package Mm -hmm. right like it it's they said it's an unbelievable setup and so when you look at it like that people have these uh you know the chicken slaughterhouses is is an an example that a lot of people obviously are like there's there's a lot of problems in industrial animal production right Mm -hmm. like for sure that's easy to say we all Mm -hmm. know that that's the case but then you see that there's people and there's things that are trying to make it done a better way Mm -hmm. that you can't still throw the same heat at those people for trying to improve on something. Sure. Right. Yep. Even if it still seems like it's a part of the same system, which it is Mm -hmm. like you go out and you tour this thing and you're like, holy cow, this is like, feels like a hospital almost Mm -hmm. because of the cleanliness because of it's, it's so on point with how they do this from point A to B. And so when you look at these things like this and then you take it back into hunting and you made the example before where it's like, we need to grow people into this where it's like, why can't you shoot a doe or two or something like that and get better at hunting? I think of myself as an example where out here, I can't literally like, you're not allowed to shoot does unless you're a youth hunter in Idaho. Like those are the only people and you only get one deer tag a year unless you pay the out of resident price, which... Hardly anybody does, unless you're like, that's what you do every year is you hunt, right? So it costs five times more money to get an out of resident extra tag, which there's only a limited amount anyway. So for probably 98% of the hunters, you get one deer tag, you get one elk tag. If you buy the sportsman's package, you get a bear, you get actually the only thing you can hunt more of is wolves in the state of Idaho. They'll pay you to come out there and hunt them, won't they? And they'll, and they'll, and they'll, uh, well, there's organizations that you can be a part of that they'll reimburse you for That's everyone that you Whoops. yeah i got excited so, to slam my microphone yeah <laughs> <laughs> so but but it's not i mean it's decent money too like i know a couple guys it's like several hundred dollars per yeah zach that get. zach
0: hunts them up there right
1: yeah, yeah yep he does, and I think it's I mean I don't know the exact figures, but I remember something like seven hundred or plus more money that. it was like seven hundred ish
0: dollars in reimbursement, yeah oh, well, it was, it was more than it was reimbursement for travel, but I think it was seven hundred ish dollars on top of that.
1: And he killed like five <sighs> last year, and you know and it, Colorado's
0: but, introducing two thousand wolves yeah and and, and that Idaho's and the paying whole people thing. to come kill them like look yeah. at the states that have them montana, so, Idaho, so and so on. And the problems that they have with them and the problem in Montana, just to give people an understanding of what, what happens. So wolves are not the apex predator. They are an apex predator as Mm -hmm. a group for sure. But the individual Mm -hmm. wolf more like just a big coyote, like he's, he's going to scavenge, he's going to find little rabbits and things like that. But as a group, as a pack, they are devastating. Uh, I was listening to another podcast that was just talking about this and I I might've mentioned it to you, but they tracked I want to say it was six wolves that were just joy killing. They killed 45. um, Yeah, they, it was six, six wolves, (laughs) 45 deer and elk calves along with other small game in Mm -hmm. 38 days. They weren't even eating them all. They were just the pack would literally kill, they would have a meal out of it. And a lot of times they'll return or they'll stay with the kill until it's gone. They would have a meal out of it and then go kill another and another and another. Zach has told
1: me he's seen it happen. Like he's watched wolves do that. I've seen, uh, with my own tuned eyes,
0: I've seen a mountain lion take down um, probably a one or two year old mule deer doe. I have seen them uh, dig into a, a bedding area where a fawn was and pull one out and just kill it. So I've yeah. seen two lion kills in Arizona um, and you're not supposed to really even see those lions like just passively. Yeah. I mean, they stay hidden, yeah. um, but I've seen that. But anyway, in Montana, what I was being told was that the wolves were pushing the bear. And that was my whole point about the apex predator. The bear is obviously a more violent, terrifying predator one to one, but yes. six or seven wolves on a bear, they can exhaust the bear. They can tire the bear out. They can frustrate the bear. He'll leave. So the bears, in an effort to get away from hunting with the wolves, have moved further down the valley, which Mm -hmm. has pushed the elk. And if you look at the Mm -hmm. videos in Montana, I saw a hundred elk sleeping in a dude's front yard the other day. Like he videoed. And that happens. Like you see it in Utah and stuff and you see it in Montana some, but the volume of the elk and the mule deer and such being pushed down into the valley, which is now bringing grizzlies and black bears into the valley, which is now Uh creating human interaction with bears, which is creating problems. You're talking about taking 2000 wolves and putting them in an area that why are there no wolves in Colorado? Like if you go back to the history of that people trapped and hunted them to extinction for a reason, right? For a reason, not saying that that's good. 2000 is a lot of wolves.
1: And when they reintroduced them here, and they'll be protected they had, as a reintroduction species. They had, species. A, yeah, they, had a, they had a number that was, you know, quote unquote like the carrying capacity, right? Of how many packs. Yeah. And yeah. and literally from I think it was 95 or 96 or whatever. From then until now, we are I I think the exact figure is is 92% more. Like the, like the the number that they had is 92% of what it is. Or is oh. 8% of what it currently is. Oh, okay. Like, okay. that's how much more yeah, yeah, yeah. there is. So it's yeah. like it's like 10 or 12 times yeah. what they allotted for back in the 90s when they reintroduced them as to what currently exists in just Idaho now. Mm-hmm. And the big part of it is it's a different kind of wolf <laughs> yeah. than what lived here before. Because the yeah. ones that they brought here are the ones from way up north in Canada, I was which say, the are Canadian not wolves. the same. Yeah, They're bigger. They're not bigger. the same kind.
0: Everything that lives in a colder domain, like the deer are bigger in Alberta, the deer are bigger in Minnesota than they are in Alabama. Like the colder, the weather, the harder, the bigger, the animal, like, I think that's part of the Viking thing too. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny, but like these cold environment, people are hardy people. So just like in, you know. To, live. To, you be, had to, be- to
1: conserve body heat and have exactly enough, and like have enough heat to actually survive cold winters and all of this like to make one giant loop back around when i was talking about how uh to introduce somebody into hunting yes. like let them you know like whatever i went and like i've told you everybody knows i didn't start hunting until i was out of college mm-hmm. you know like i did just i never did so 23 was the year i first hunted i was 30 last fall before mm-hmm. I ever killed anything. Sure. Like on a, an actual hunt, like I've done bird hunts and I've done like small game stuff before throughout. But like, if we're talking big game or whatever, I hunted for six years of getting skunked and making tons of dumb mistakes where I had chances. I could have probably taken four or five animals in that time. Mm-hmm. Right. And on this, in the seventh year was when it all finally came together and I didn't mess it up. Right. And yeah. like, that's how I look at it. it was like, I did what I was supposed to do, but I didn't mess it up. <laughs> you know, and so like there's, and and bringing it into the article that that Matt wrote, I can see how that's a problem for people coming into it, mm-hmm. where they're coming into hunting and they're like, how you know, <laughs> the thing, and I look at Steve Ranella, and I, it's mm-hmm. kind of a joke, but it does kind of make me mad, where it's like, he will get whatever tag he wants, because. Right. the show because of the exposure because of the connections and all that kind of stuff like he gets all these crazy hard to get tags and some of them in you know other states he said he's put in for 20 years and never gotten it like i think he had that mountain goat one two seasons ago and he's like i've been putting in my whole life for this or whatever but then he'll get these tags in idaho that are like crazy hard hunts and he gets them four out of five years or something like that you know what i mean it's like the the, the math just doesn't add up where that is going to be the case without some sort of connections and i get it like if it's exposure for idaho hunting or i you know whatever i know that that stuff exists i'm not yeah. mad at it necessarily but it does put this false perception i think in a lot of people that are especially new and especially if you're coming in as like an adult like i was where you come in with this expectation that isn't really uh, it doesn't really exist No. And I think
0: something that's important to note, um, I did a podcast with elk shape, Dan Staten. Yeah. Has that one come out yet? No, it's coming out. So he goes on a two month kind of like elk tour. So he, I think he hunts four hunts, you know, six, seven days each with a couple days of travel in between. But I think he goes, I want to say Montana, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico or somewhere like that. It's four hunts and he goes for two months. So he did a bunch of recordings and kind of like stacks them so that they'll come out. So I don't know when it'll be out, but I had a good time with him. Uh, It was actually kind of the same thing I did with Levi. I did a podcast with Levi Morgan, greatest archer ever born. Um, And in both cases, both guys were like, and, and as if you ever listened to this podcast, you know, I can talk, but we only covered like on Levi. He said, man, I had three questions and we got through one. (laughs) <laughs> you know, he's like, so that's kind of how it was with Dan, uh, a little bit of the the origin story of myself and so on. But the the point I was going to make about Dan, he killed a bull with his rifle and then switched to bow hunting. And it was five years before. he, And I think it was multiple elk hunts a year for five years yeah. before he killed one with his bow. Yeah. Cam Haynes talks about his early hunts, like going for years. Um, and killing spike bulls and being like, he was 18, 19 years old and killed a spike bull after two years of not even seeing a bull. And, you know, those guys, when you really look back at a guy like Cam or a guy like even Steve Rinella or any of them, they were killers before the internet. I mean, Cam had some backcountry articles. And anybody, everybody can hate Cam. I mean, everybody can hate that guy for any myriad of reasons. But when you look at what the guy has done and the way that he did it, for 20 plus years before anybody knew about Keep Hammering or Cam Haynes, he was killing Sitka Blacktail. He was killing mm-hmm. Blacktails up there in Washington. He was killing elk. He was killing mule deer. He was killing whitetails. So that's where I wrestle with it because Cam has a million plus followers. He has definitely gotten more people into hunting, I would say, at this point, probably than even Joe Rogan. I think Rogan was yeah. probably like a conduit and a, you know, kind of a, Confirmation to what Cam was saying because they hunted together, but I think Cam every day is hunt, 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 shoot yeah. your bow, run, shoot your bow, run, and Joe just sprinkles the hunting in yeah. throughout. So, you know, when you are looking at the Matt ranella argument of hunting on social media is bad for hunting, how do we break that down? Is are more hunters the problem? No, because there are more hunters in the forties and fifties post World War II than there ever been since there are Mm -hmm. more hunters in 47 to 51 than have ever been recorded since. So it's not more hunters, right? And most of those, most of those hunters were rifle hunters. Then now it's, you know, it's a totally different game. So is it more people or is it less self-control of the people? Is it less education of the people or is it that stinking sneaky, selfish desire to get known? yeah that makes it
1: you know like what is and the the other one that i kind of had thought of too because in that article i remember that article and i can't i can't remember if it was him that makes the direct the direct analogy of it or or the the point was it's also less habitat for the wildlife than existed 80 years ago yeah just that's because that was- of the growth of stuff and so you're pushing not even though it's not as many hunters as back then you're pushing a greater number into a smaller area So the hunting pressure is increasing, which I get that totally. Sure. You know, like from that point. Well, that was, that was genesis. There aren't enough
0: tags for the people that truly want to hunt for the meat and for the hunt. Yep. Yep. The space to hunt is still massive, but the, the air, the total area of huntable ground has shrunk. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you right here, just, just in around me. So I'm pointing, um, I'm pointing to my East right now. If you go one mile that way, there used to be a 300-acre tract. You could see deer all year long. Yeah. It is now an addition to the interstate. It's like an it's not even a farm anymore. It's just mm. an exit ramp. Um, when you go about a mile to the south, there was a 400-acre farm that is now 37 homes. There is To the north here, you can go and see deer after deer after deer after deer. You can't hunt any of it. You cannot hunt any yeah. of it. It's all privately owned. West, you can go two miles that way. I've killed deer that right down there three times in my life. One day hunts, just walk out, wait, kill a doe. Can't hunt there anymore. It's a subdivision. So his argument is probably still at the broad stage. He probably should have brought it and made it more concise instead of like social media sucks and social media influencers for hunting are terrible. It should have been from the grounds of, Hey guys, We are losing ground to subdivisions, to government takeover. We are getting more hunters with less education. They're blowing out more animals. They're ruining more hunts for other people, just like in Arizona. You know, a lot of times with Chino, even though it was an outfitter that was helping me, we were hunting public ground. You know, I had a tag, but we were on public ground in in a time where only tag holders could be. Nevertheless, you still see some guy out there scouting, you can watch him blow deer out. You can watch him blow elk out. You can watch him blow everything in the valley out or the, the basin. So my first year at Chino, I did not see another hunter. And every year after that, it grew. So the next year I saw one. The next year I saw three. The next year I saw like 10. That is proof positive enough to me that Matt is on to something. Yeah. I just don't know what the course correction is. And I don't know. Yeah. The solution
1: how- is where the issue comes up.
0: Like, right. And that's the problem with so many of these people. That's a good point. Cause I had a thought about that uh, earlier this week when I was like all these people, so, namely those same types that I was talking about earlier yeah. that tell you how to live your life or whatever, but they're not, they're just providing you with more fear and more problems. They're not actually giving you solutions, right? Oh, wake up at four o'clock. Well, that's a great option. If I'm a, you know, if I've got grown kids and I don't have a job that starts until 9am or whatever, like, it's that stuff that irks me. It's like, do it my yeah. way and you'll be fine. No, it's right. It's not that way. And I don't know how you mass educate all of these people, all of these influencers. You know, you have great guys like Remy Warren, cam, John Dudley, Levi, like people that are dumping information constantly to make people yeah. better shooters, maybe even better hunters. But where are the people that are like celebrating the fact that, Hey, I, you know, I'm a big name guy and I shoot for, a big name bow company. I killed two does this season and I loved it. You know, yeah. like you see that on the trad side, but there's also no money on the trad side. Right. You know what I mean? So yep. to me, the question comes into, is it the bow companies driving the problem? Is it mm. the marketing companies driving the problem of creating these superhero type hunters that, that in my mind, um, and to even Matt's argument as well, force poaching because these guys are paid to kill you are paid to kill like if you kill and this is where it gets ugly right and this is where i have problems with it if i went out and i killed four big elk this year and i went out and killed four big elk next year i guarantee you sometimes between this year next year and the third start of the season the next year i would have a bow contract i would Mm -hmm. have a a camo contract i would have an arrow contract i would have Everything I wanted and probably an outfitter saying, man, love to see you come to our outfit. You got a great following. You put big bulls on the ground. So the trade starts to happen at that point, yep. right? That, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Is that is that the way it should be? Like, if you're a proven killer, should you get the most money? Well, let's talk about that guy that I sent you last year, the sheep killer that kills at yeah. five yards with his trad bow on sheep. <laughs> yeah, Like, it's insane. And his story was, I watched a mountain lion kill a sheep and it sat at seven yards for 10 minutes before it ever pounced. He said, that's how I wanted to hunt. After I saw that I wanted to sit and wait and watch as close as I could and then make my move. Mm -hmm. Dude's got a thousand followers and kills giant everything. So it's not that it's not the fact of killing. He doesn't publicize a lot of his stuff. He doesn't make a, a novel out of his captions. He doesn't make a movie out of his hunts so do we have to self-grand you know self-grandize ourselves yeah what What do you think it is man like i think it's everything well, I'll make i don't the think analogy. it's just hunting
1: yeah i think it's everything we'll take the analogy to fitness right like you're yes. talking about the, the the camo contracts the bows is it them that's pushing it forward is it any different than somebody who is on gear to look a certain way, but then getting sponsored by a protein company to market the protein as the reason for the results.
0: Right. No, I don't You know think what so. I mean. Yeah. It's it's like, all the same muck. You know what I mean? It's the
1: same. It's the same template. Right. Like not only that, like it's this, it's just applied to a different industry, but it's the same type of template of marketing. Right. right? And I think where hunting is, is a lot of people aren't caught up to it in this industry, the way that they are in fitness yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like where everybody sees the, well, and especially back when magazines were still a thing, right? Like what is 60%, magazine, Dad? 60% of muscle and fitness were supplement ad pages. Yeah. Right. And you'd look through them and you're like, okay, well this guy's not this way just because of this supplement, obviously like there was right. people had that instinct about it. Yeah. Right. But, enough people didn't that they would still buy the product thinking that that was what going to be the got them the results. I think Mm -hmm. there's less of that skepticism that exists in the hunting industry as far as the marketing part of it is concerned because it's still new ish in this format, like Mm -hmm. hunting DVDs and hunting videos and content have been around forever, you know, but in this explosive, where now there's personalities even more huge, mm-hmm. like millions of followers for these guys, yeah. and I mean giant, multi-million dollar, tens of million dollar corporations that are involved, right? Like I think it's still just in the very early stages of what it is, in this manner of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. No. I, I mean,
0: it's a very strange group, unlike. <laughs> Well, maybe it's more like than I think, but coming from the fitness side where I was privy to a lot, you know, I was, I -hmm. was in the depths of the industry. Mm -hmm. You kind of go through the rounds where everything looks good. Everything looks as it appears. Yep. You start getting some contracts, you start getting into the know, you start meeting some bigger name people and you start hearing their stories and you start hearing other stories and you start hearing other stories. And you're like, no, I don't believe this. And then you look back and you find yourself, holy shit, these companies are exactly what all these people said. They didn't tell the public. They told me because I'm behind the curtain. Watch your back. Don't work with this guy. Don't do this. Don't do that. They're not telling the mass public because a lot of times if they did that, like if, you know, let's say Burt comes out and is like, man, Joe Rogan's a piece of shit. Well, (laughs) who's going to lose that that battle? You know, like, Bert's going to be canceled in a minute, yeah. you know, much like, uh, much like the, uh, that watch company was or whatever it was, or the, the heart rate monitor that Joe just blasted on Instagram. Oh yeah. Like, was it Polar Polar? What it was the company? Polar. Was it
1: Polar or was it the was It was it Polar, the other one. I think. But anyway. Was it Polar?
0: I think so. But anyway, like that's probably where those guys fall. And I felt that myself. Like there were guys that I knew were just shitheads. But they were, they were don't touch because it's like their fans were ravenous. Their companies behind them were ravenous. So yeah. it's like you get into this mental warfare sort of thing. And then I've seen it on the hunting side. You know, big name hunter comes in the room and starts talking shit about every other big name hunter. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this is what he does. And this is what this guy does. And this is what he does to get all these big animals. Go to another room. Well, you find out, well, this is what this guy does. That's what this guy does. And it's like all the finger pointing is stupid. But in that money realm, there's only so much pie. you know. There's only so many dollars up for grabs amongst that upper mm-hmm. echelon. So I think that breeds a competition. I think that breeds a look at me, look at me only kind of mentality. Um, as in preservation for their business. Like they're not doing it maliciously but it's like they become the show yeah and depending on where you fall like i listen to a ton of archery podcasts on building arrows tuning bows all that kind of stuff and just to give you an example john dudley or aaron snyder or ranch Ferry, you know troy down in texas three different ideas about how to build an arrow right if i watch john dudley well shit his information looks awesome. It's well presented. It's, it's as good as gold and he kills. So I'm going to follow that religiously. All right. Never heard of Aaron Snyder. John Dudley fan finds Aaron Snyder. His arrow setup is different. His bow setup is different. All these little nuanced things about archery and arrow flight are different. Well, shit, man, like he kills cooler animals than John. So I'm (laughs) going to follow him. Well, then you miss an animal or you wound an animal holy shit, I'm listening to Ranch Ferry over here, and guess what? He talks about wounding pigs and not finding them. So he built an arrow that's 800 grains, and he kills everything on impact. Well, it's like people fall into those those traps instead of like learning themselves. And granted, all three of those men have helped me build arrows better. Mm -hmm. Some by misinformation, by testing their information, be like, oh, I see why that's good, but it's not good anywhere else but in that one scenario. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I'm getting at there is people have made fans or made themselves fans of these people because they can put an animal on the ground and they take everything as, you know, they almost get religious about it. Like what they, what they wear, what camo they wear, what bow they shoot, what arrow they shoot, how they tune. And it's like, I wanted to get away from all of it. You know, like I started wearing off-brand camo shit you know, shooting a recurve, mm-hmm. building 15 different arrows, um, doesn't make me better, but it just means that I get very consciously aware of the attention I was only getting when I killed, not when I was in mm-hmm. pursuit of. Yeah. So I don't know how you look at a cam Haynes and be like, man, make your pursuit as awesome as the kill. But I think people need to see the hard days too. You know, they need to see it's, miserable and i think aaron out of all of those people like just look at some of his old uh trad bow mule deer hunts he's like on day 14 he's like i'm (laughs) probably gonna kill myself tomorrow if i don't kill this deer so (laughs) at least (laughs) i'll kill something you know (laughs) but i think hunting in the outdoors is so Mm -hmm. awesome it is so Mm -hmm. beautiful to to take an animal and to cut the meat out and to eat that meat i have to me when I started a fire for the first time myself, like hard started a fire, there was a visceral response. When I first shot my arrow into an animal, there was a visceral visceral response. Starting a fire to cook meat from that animal, that was like mm-hmm. it was something else. Yeah. To take that meat, a different kill, and share that with friends, that's a different level. So. It's, um, it's a very contextual thing for me. It's a very like, it's a very rich matter in my life. Yeah. And I have no right to tell anyone else how to do it. I have no right to judge anyone else's pursuit, but man, as an industry, I can observe what it is doing to people that I know personally that were great, good people that have maybe fallen off the ledge of the industry. They've, they've chased the industry too hard. So I'm still trying to figure that out for myself. Like, what is my code? How do I do this? How do I share this? How do I explain to people that it's not just a dead pig or a dead deer on the ground? This is hours of planning and effort and shooting my bow and building the arrow. Like all of that is hunting to me. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to figure out how to make it so that that translates and I struggle with it, you know?
1: I do know (laughs) I was trying to to think of some way to actually respond to it without just saying, yes, I am the same, but I am the same. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: But I want to see people, especially people that follow this. I would love to see people get into hunting. I would love to start seeing people share their experiences, you know,
1: success or fail. I, I actually had, um, a really cool message the other day. Uh, he's a part of a group that I'm in on discord Mm -hmm. and uh one of those anti-government forums i see got it (laughs) uh his name's aj um but he's he's i've interacted with him a bunch over the last couple years and he's followed a lot of the programming and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um but he he messaged me the other day because he said that he just got his his first recurve Mm-hmm. After like all the stuff that we've talked about it, and then he so he sent me a couple questions about like string length and all that kind of stuff. So I just sent him over the specs on on mine because after you had told me my string length is a little bit shorter than it's usually
0: three to four inches shorter than the limb to limb kind of deal. Yeah, that's usually yeah. about what it runs. Long bows. are think about mine... three. recurves are usually three and a half to
1: four. Mine was I'll tell you exactly. So sixty-two fifty-eight. Length. So the AMO is 62 even, and my actual was 57 and three quarters. Yeah, so that's about right,
0: because that's what my string is on. My Hoyt is a 57 and three quarter, and my buana is a 58. So as far as the string,
1: yeah. Yeah, so I just sent him over that, but he had said it was, you know, he was motivated to get it after hearing us talk about it for so long. So it was kind of cool to see that it's, you know, it is being implemented.
0: Yeah, places you know, well, which is cool. I, you know, I had two guys um, very recently um, order some Buena Bows, and you know that's cool because one, Mark is a good dude. He just killed a great mule deer too out in uh, California. He was on a oh, did he? Yeah, last night, and he was pretty down. Um, I didn't talk to him directly, but we we messaged a little bit. He was, I wouldn't say down. He was just frustrated with the bears. Yeah, they were non-existent. And Jeff Hairston, who was out there too. Um, he said, he set water three days for 10 hours each day, never even saw a sign of a bear. So, yeah. you know, I don't know if Jeff is hunting mule deer, but Mark went from a bear hunt directly into mule deer and, and got him one out there. So it, it's nice. a pretty buck. It's, it's beautiful buck. He had it set on his pack with his bow there. But, um, the Bonobos have been really, really good to me. Once I respected that bow, I tried to make it into, I tried to make it shoot like my Hoyt, um, yeah. just because that was fear, you know, because, the Hoyt was off a of spring. This is off a of shelf. This was, I had deep water immersion with something I didn't know how to swim in, you know? So I yep. Uh, yep. tried to make it more familiar and that was just, that was okay, but it wasn't doing it justice. And when I really went back, new string, new arrows, new setup, pff, stupid, but that's what you have to do with the recurves. They all have personality that yep. you have to bend to. You can't bend them to yours.
1: Well, and then the bear that you were shooting this morning like yeah. that one you're shooting off, that's off your finger, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. It does have a little bit of a, it's got a cheater lip on
0: it. The guy kind of oh, wrapped okay. it with, it's got a little cheater lip, but it ain't much. I mean, it's it's about the three quarters of the width of a pencil That's that your arrow is resting yeah. on. Like you can see carbon sticking off of gotcha. the shelf. So. yeah. Um, it's shooting pretty good. Like I said, those are, those are arrows that i had built for my Hoyt, but the, the draw on it's a little bit lighter. So I thought it would kind of even out and it, it flew great. I put two arrows yeah. right side by right side by Dead side. Money. So, um, <laughs> would I take it to hunt right now? No. Would I, do I need to go back through that process? I just explained with the Buona. Absolutely. It probably needs, I'm going to guess another 25 grains up front to make it perfect because mm. I was a little bit, um, my knock. So the cool thing about when you learn how to tune, you start paying attention to what your knock behavior is. If it's right, it's a little bit weak. If it's left, it's too stiff. If it's high, Mm -hmm. you're knock high. If you're low, you're knock low. Um, And you can start adjusting your bow on that. And I was just a bit stiff. Just a bit. Like, most people wouldn't even care. But I have watched enough knocks this last year and a half to know that it's a little bit stiff. So a little bit more weight up front will kind of weaken that tip and that'll even me out so i'm going to go from probably a 150 head to a 175 but the shafts and Mm. the arrows themselves are done so i you know if i could encourage somebody that was looking to go the path i would probably encourage them to start with a rifle um that's a it's a long range high opportunity weapon it is designed to put meat in the freezer and it does a very good job of that it also increases your success rate and i think that a lot of people need to need to feel success with something early on so that they know that they can commit further so i think a rifle hunt is great 2 to 3 years of that segue to a or compound. go 6
1: years with or go 6 years without
0: yeah well and i mean <laughs> i can do that with a rifle again. Too. i'm thinking a little bit more of the whitetail woods where like if right. you have a good yeah. spot to hunt whitetail you're going to kill a whitetail with a rifle yeah. it's just inevitable um but I think, you know, two or three years of that, maybe five years with a rifle out west, and then look at a compound. Um, I know a lot of the trad guys are probably gonna get mad at that, but it's mm-hmm. like I'm only talking about from a point of enjoyment and relative success. You know, yep. rifle's the most effective. It may not be the highest enjoyment, but man, if you sit at five hundred yards and ping steel, that's awesome. Yep. If you get a compound, high level of accuracy, easy to adapt to, easy to learn, easy to shoot excuse me, fairly accurately, very quickly. And then you can go the route I did, which was, I became a better shooter than a hunter. So I wanted to be, you know, a weapon that forced me to be a better, better hunter. And I got the recurve. I do think that there's a special type of person that could forego all of that and pick up a recurve and just embrace the suck. And, you know, but if you can learn, if you can learn to kill with a bow that requires you to be most of the time Fifteen yards, I think that is like the the statistical average of kills with a recurve. Fifteen yards from a big game animal, from a North American game animal, all the way down to fifteen yards to five yards from a pig. Man, when you get when you get on a mule deer or an elk, it's just going to seem like a much different animal. Like not not the yeah. beast, but like yeah, your yeah. capability of getting yeah. close is going to be incredible. So. Yeah. I don't know if you're on the fence about hunting, definitely, definitely check out somebody like blood origins or how they do a lot of conservation work and they do so in a data science-based way that one kicks hunters in the ass and says, do better, but also kicks non hunters in the dick and is like, Hey, look at this for what it is. Um, right. So, and I think that's important. Um, I'm obviously open to talk and help anyone that I can. Ross is the same way, but I guess the overarching message for me, no matter what you do, who you are, be yourself and enjoy the things that you're doing for yourself. Don't try to emulate. I've done it. It's made me miserable. Uh, I still fall into that trap all the time, you know, of like, I want to be like this guy or I want to be like this guy or do the things that this guy's doing. And you can lose yourself in that pursuit. Um, So just do the things that you believe in, do them for the reasons that you want to do them. And they don't have to be a spectacle. They can be privately yours, you know. And that's, that's how I've kept some of my stuff to just feel better about it. Like some of my stuff is my own. And that's the way it needs to be forever forward, I think. Yep. It's
1: a good so, place to wrap
0: it up. There it is, guys. Give us one. Ross has got the whole family and neighborhood on elk warning. He's giving them calls. <laughs> little man's barking that,
1: all over the place. That little man was hitting the bugle pretty good there yesterday. He was killing it. Did I send you the one of my daughter screaming it? Oh, yeah, it yeah, that just one. like one. Oh, yeah. My just gosh. her scream sounded like one. <laughs> <laughs> so good. That's awesome, uh, man. S- sign up for the newsletter. We'll have stuff coming soon. Date TBD, but we will have stuff coming soon. But stay there and we'll have updates and stuff on what does happen when it does happen.
0: We're about to start rolling boys. Yes, sir. Have a good one guys. Thank you.